fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Phil Mills, pastor of Lansing Seventh-day Adventist Church. And now, here's Pastor Phil. Happy Sabbath, church. It's good to see each one of you here this morning. I said this last week, I have seen it again this week, and I am sure you have seen it as well. Jesus is on the move in our church and in this community. I was talking to an individual this last week who um, God has them on a journey to finding Jesus in a new and personal way. And they're coming from a background where they haven't had Christ in their life. And it was so encouraging to hear them say, I just want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is moving. I know that in some of our homes, and I hope it's in all of our homes, we are feeling God bringing an even deeper personal spiritual revival in our lives. You may be sitting here saying, well, that's not happening for me, Pastor, so that's a little discouraging to hear. I have good news for you. Jesus can and will do the same thing in your home. If you're discouraged this morning, I want to encourage you. Jesus is a personal God for you. Well, our sermon this morning comes from a passage that we all have learned probably from when we were quite small, but the title is The Personal Christ. Last week, we talked about the humble Christ. This week is the personal Christ. Next week is the healing Christ. It's a three-part series that we've been going through trying to understand more fully the ministry of Christ to save humanity. And today, I trust that you will once more ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me, to speak to you, to speak to the person next to you, and that today we will understand more fully how much Jesus loves us personally. Because it's not the Christ of your neighbor, it's the Christ of yours. He wants a relationship with us personally. So would you bow your heads as we prepare our hearts to open God's Word? Father in heaven, as we bow and hear in your presence how grateful we are for the privilege of meditating and studying on your word. Well, today we want to understand Jesus and his love for us in new and profound ways. We want to see the personal Christ and his desire to personally transform us. And so we ask right now that you will come and rest upon this place in a mighty way. Yes, the Father, you'll banish Satan and his angels from having access to here. And then in the quiet sanctity of this sanctuary, Jesus will be high and lifted up. Anoint my lips with a live coal off the altar, we ask. And then touch it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I was flying back from England. I found myself on a flight. I was flying alone. It's partially my fault. I had lost my passport while I was in England this last time. Not a fun experience. 
changed all of our plans. We weren't able to go to some of the other country that we were needing to film in. But you know what? God's gracious. He overruled, and we were able to work that out. So I'm on the flight on the way back. The flight was pretty empty because the U.S. had said they weren't letting people in from England. So it was only United States citizens. Thankfully, we could come back that were being allowed back into the U.S. So there were a lot of empty rows, which is great when you're flying seven, eight hours overseas. As I'm flying, I'm there sitting alone. There's no internet when you're flying across the ocean, which is no cell phone reception either. So I'm there and I'm feeling very bored. The Lord prompted me, Phil, why don't you take this time as an opportunity to really meditate and study on my word? And so I pulled up my computer and I opened up the LOI database, I opened up the Bible, and I started studying through a number of passages. And over the next seven or eight hours, I did pause, you know, occasionally there was some food that came around and I did stop to sleep. But for most of the seven or eight hours, I just immersed myself in the Word of God. And as I was going through that, I was coming across these passages about the personal Christ and how He's not only coming again and He's working to transform us, but I was really convicted as I was reading about how much Jesus loves humanity personally. And it was as if that plane, the Lord came down into that plane and He began to speak to my heart in a new and personal way. And He said, Phil, there's some things that need to change in your life and I'm here personally to help you have the victory in your life. I remember on the plane, somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean, closing my eyes and saying, Lord, I really want to have a relationship with You. I want to have victory in every area of my life. Please change my heart. And the Lord heard that prayer, church, as He always does. And there is a specific area that I was asking for victory in that for years has been an area I have struggled in. And on that flight somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean, I finally allowed Jesus Christ to personally come in and change that area of my life. And church, I became a new person in Jesus Christ. I say, well, pastor, didn't you become a new person when you accepted Jesus Christ? I did then. But conversion is a daily experience. And the Christ that's working with us isn't just wanting to come in, touch us, and then walk on. He wants to personally interact with your life on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. And He wants to do it whether it's in the middle, and it's 36,000 feet in the air over the Atlantic Ocean, or if it's here in this sanctuary this morning, or whether it is in the quietness of your house, or if it's in the middle of a chaotic situation, wherever it is, the God of the universe wants to personally come in and intervene in your life and live with you, dwell with you, and transform you by the power of His grace. I'm so grateful for a personal Jesus. A personal God. So what I want us to take some time this morning is I want to walk through the stories of the Bible. We won't have time to go through all of them, but I want you to begin to see a pattern that we serve a God who isn't distant and removed, but even from the very beginning, He has been personally intervening in the affairs of man because He's a God who wants a relationship that transforms us and recreates us into His image. What do you say? Go with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're meditating on the verse, John chapter 3 and verse 16, 
And while you're turning to Genesis chapter 2, let me just remind you of what part of the verse we're looking at right now. John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, For God so loved the what? World. We're meditating on the fact that God loved the world and the evidence of that love is that He gave His Son. Only begotten Son. God so loved the world that He gave. And I don't want you to get stuck on the word gave. I want you to take that concept of God so loved the world that He gave and I want you to see that phrase as an indication that the God of the universe wants to personally be involved in your life. Genesis chapter 2, are you there, church? Notice what it says. Here is God. Now, just remind yourself what's happened. Over the last five days, this is the sixth day of creation, over the last five days, God has spoken and created everything in the world minus mankind. God spoke, let there be light. And what was there, church? It was light. God spoke, let there be firmament. And there was air. God spoke and the grass appeared. God spoke and there were birds in the air. God spoke and the oceans was filled with fish. God speaks and animals of every shape and variety appear across the planet. God speaks and it happens. But when it comes to the creation of man, the king of the universe doesn't speak he personally is involved in the creation of mankind. It must have been a wonder to the universe to watch as they on their, however they watch it, I don't know, maybe they have holograms of what God is doing on earth, I don't know. But they watch as the king of the universe kneels down and begins to take clay and he begins to fashion the form of the first human. First they see this long bar of clay and then they see God begin to craft out where the legs are going to be and where the arms are going to be and where the head is going to be and then the eyes begin to take shape in the mouth and the lips. Then the hair is... Until finally, God in His intricacy, there is a being on the ground. And God is bending over this being. Now the King of the universe doesn't just stop there in his personal intervention in mankind, his desire to be personally involved in the affairs of every human being. He doesn't stop there. With Adam, God could have just stood up and said, okay, Adam, it's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to be alive. And if he had, Adam would have woken up and been alive because God's Word is power. But God doesn't do that. He bends over the face of Adam and He brings His face close to Adam's face and He breathes into Adam the breath of what, church? And Adam becomes a living soul. Now picture it in your mind. It's not a distant God, church. It's a what God? Personal God. And Adam, as he wakes up, and that flicker of life goes through his face and his eyes have that look of intelligence as his mind boots up for the first time. He looks into the eyes of his Creator. And God welcomes Adam for the first time to life. Adam gets up. God shows him all of the creation. Talking about the personal God. Adam names all of the different animals. Each one of them. And then God creates personally with His own hands. Eve. All of mankind, male and female, were created by the personal hand of the Creator of the universe. 
I wish we could say that everything stayed perfect because then we wouldn't be in this world of sin, but we know the story changes. The mess gets worse. It goes from perfection and it becomes a mess. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. We know the story. That's not the point of this sermon. Sin enters our world. Rebellion has come in. And mankind at that point should have been lost. Last week we talked about what happened in heaven as Jesus humbled Himself to be willing to come down and die for mankind. This week I want us to move our focus to what's happening on earth. We're talking about the personal God. Here's Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. And they've just rebelled against God. They've just brought the worst that could happen onto this planet. Now God could have sent an angel. He could have had an angel come down and tell Adam and Eve, I'm sorry, but this is what God's going to do. But God is about a personal relationship with His people. So He doesn't send an angel. God Himself. Genesis chapter 3. Are you there, church? Turn over there if you would. Genesis chapter 3. Down in verse 8. Adam and Eve have lost the robe of light. They're there in the Garden of Eden. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves among the trees of the garden from the presence of the who? The Lord God. Then the Lord God called Adam and said, Where are you? God didn't send an angel. Jesus comes down and He personally intervenes at the brokenness of mankind when it was at their worst. Jesus comes and He personally interacts with mankind. and He says, Adam and Eve, where are you? Now, did God know where they were? Of course He did. It's a sermon for another time. But the point is this. The King of the universe comes down in the point where man is at the beginning, the very beginning of the brokenness of sin. And He says, I'm here to intercede in your behalf. And He tells them. He doesn't tell them it's all hopeless. It's all worthless. You just lost everything. God says, no. Yes, there are consequences. But there is a coming Savior, I will send My Son and He will die in your stead and you will be transformed and saved by the power of His Spirit. Praise God, we serve a personal God. I want you to see this going on further. We're going to touch on this theme. You're going to see this again and again. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Man has now multiplied across the earth. We could have looked in Genesis 4. I'll just quickly summarize it. God personally intervened in Cain and Abel's that affair. God's a personal God. Genesis chapter 6, mankind has multiplied across planet earth. But instead of following God, man has pulled far away from God. In fact, Genesis 6 says that the thoughts of man was over evil continually. We're going to verse 13. Instead of just judging and destroying the planet, God Himself comes down to meet with Noah. To me, this is just incredible. That the major events in history, the King of the universe comes down to interact personally with mankind. So He comes and He meets with Noah. And He says, verse 13, are you there, church? And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before Me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And he goes on from there. The sermon today isn't about the destruction of the world by flood. The point of this point 
is that God comes personally and intervenes when the world's about to become unredeemable. Just a couple of other quick ones to look at. Go with me to Genesis chapter 12. It's after the flood. The world has been destroyed by the flood. Noah and his family have been saved. We're on the other end of the flood now. Man has begun to multiply again upon the face of the earth. Different tribes are being formed. Different cities are being built. Tower of Babel has already happened. Languages have been created. The spreading of man is now happening around the planet. And God realizes he needs a people to protect and hold in sanctity the truth of a coming Redeemer. And so God doesn't send an angel to raise up Abraham. God Himself comes and appears to Abraham. Notice chapter 12 and verse 1. Are you there, church? And the Lord said to who? Who's speaking here? Church, are you getting the point? All the way through history, our God doesn't leave things distant. He comes and personally interacts with mankind. Chapter 19 of Genesis. One last story here. Genesis chapter 19. It's an amazing story. It actually begins in chapter 18. Abraham has now become the head of a pretty large group of people. In fact, it's become so large that his nephew Lot has had to split off and go and do his own thing, and Lot has moved to the city of Sodom. Sodom has become extremely wicked in the sight of God. He's seen that this city, if it's allowed to continue on, will cut short his work on planet earth to save mankind. And so, God is preparing to destroy the wickedness of Sodom. Now, some may say, how could God do this? But I want you to notice what God does. God doesn't just send the destruction. He sends and personally Himself goes to view what's happening and see if there's anything that can be done to save Sodom. I mean, that's incredible. The King of the universe doesn't leave you to destruction. He will personally do everything He can to see that you're saved. Are you with me, church? Genesis chapter 19. Of course, Christ and the angels in chapter 18 have met with Abraham. Abraham's done some bargaining with God to try to save people in Sodom. And God said, look, if there's even ten left, I'll save them. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now the two angels came to where, church? Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house. Jesus with two angels had come and met with Abraham. Those angels had gone on to personally view what was happening in Sodom. Church, all the way through the Old Testament, we see a God who is not distant or who is removed. We see a God who is personally doing all He can to save every single human possible that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now we go to the last verse for this part of the sermon, and that's in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Abraham has passed away. His sons and grandson have passed away. Isaac, Jacob, 
Twelve patriarchs have passed away, and what's now become the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, become very large. They've been slaves in Egypt. God has, through the power of His hand, personally delivered them from Egypt. He's a personal God. And as we come into Genesis chapter 25, God doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to be in that cloud above you. He says, I want to make it very clear that I want to dwell in the midst of you. I want to be in the very mix of this camp. I want everyone to know that I am dwelling with you. Even though I could be dwelling in heaven where everything is majestic and perfect, I'm going to come down to this broken planet. I'm going to live and dwell with you in the tabernacle so that you know I'm here with you. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 8. Notice what the Word of God says. Exodus 25 and verse 8. Are you there, church? Jesus says, let them make me a what, church? Now read it with me. That I may dwell among them. What did Jesus want? He wanted a sanctuary so that He could what? Dwell with His people. You see, God doesn't just save from a distance. God saves by coming down and personally interacting with humanity and personally interacting in your life and in mine. Now let's continue on. Point one of this sermon is this. The great God of the universe is a personal God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He what? Gave His only begotten Son. As we travel down through time, again and again we could continue going, but time will fail us to do it where God personally intercedes, interacts, intervenes in human affairs. And these stories are only looking at what's happening on a large scale. What we don't have recorded as often, even though there are some stories that do, but what was happening continually in the large stories is we can know in the smaller that there were behind the scenes where Jesus was personally intervening in people's lives at a personal level until finally the world was at the darkest point it had ever been. Darkness covered the face of the planet and sin and brokenness and hopelessness. Not even God's people had the right perspective of who Jesus was, who God was anymore. They somehow thought that their sacrifices made God happy and somehow appeased for their sins when in the reality, all they were doing was pointing forward to the King who would come and it was to remind them that it was Jesus' blood that would save them, but they didn't understand that anymore. They were grinding down the poor. Money was a status of whether you were saved or not. And in this black, dark point of history, God realizes He has to intervene once more personally with His people to save mankind from utter ruin. And at the darkest point, Jesus is born as the light of the world. And the personal God steps down from His corridors of glory and comes down to the brokenness of man and He personally intervenes in our behalf. And when you think about it, incredible. God becomes a child. Divinity is clothed, wrapped, skinned in humanity. And it was so important to God that He personally connects with the brokenness of His people to show them that He cares about you personally. That forever He walks away from what He was and is now forever a human being so that we can never say we don't have a personal God. 
He's raised. Becomes a man. And Jesus, who of all people had every excuse to be aloof, to be separate, to be distinct, shows us the example of what we as Christians must be by personally interacting with people. John chapter 2, the first miracle recorded in the Bible of Christ's life. John chapter 2, where do we find Christ? There at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And at the wedding, they run out of wine and the personal king of the universe creates the wine. Now, when I say wine, remember there's two different types of wine. There's fermented and there's not fermented. A sermon for another time, Christ creates grape juice, non-fermented wine. He creates the grape juice to be with the wedding guests so that they are satisfied and their needs are met Christ could have been aloof. He could have been separate. He says, I don't have time. He could have said, I don't have time to go to a wedding feast. I've got a world to save. But Jesus understood that to save the world, He must interact with humanity where they were. Sometimes I think we get so lost in doing the mission that we forget the mission is saving people and meeting people where they are. John chapter 3. Of course, on our way there, we slip past the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. Sometimes when we think of the personal God, we think of an indulgent relationship. Jesus loves you too much to indulge you in your brokenness. The temple, His people, His temple was filled with people who are stuck on themselves and trying to make money from what they were doing. And Jesus loved His people too much to let them continue doing that in their brokenness. And so He personally comes and cleanses the temple from the brokenness that was there. Church, we need Jesus to personally come and cleanse our soul's temples, don't we? There's a lot of self-seeking inside of us. There's a lot of I need to get my own ways taken care of inside of us. But the God of the universe wants to come down and in the power of His Spirit, He will cleanse us from our brokenness and recreate us into who we should be. John chapter 3. There's a man by the name of Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. He has a need of the power of Christ in his life. And so he asked for an audience with Jesus. Now Christ could have said, you know, I'm really busy. There's thousands of people who are following me. There's thousands of people who I'm trying to minister to. Let me let you talk to one of my disciples and they'll set you right. But that would have gone against who Jesus is. Jesus is a what? Personal God. And so Jesus sets up an audience with Nicodemus. And in that audience, he sits down and he meets him where he is. Nicodemus isn't willing to meet him during the day. He's embarrassed to be with Jesus. He doesn't want others to think that he thinks Jesus is right. And instead of Jesus saying, how dare you? I'm the king of the universe. Jesus says, sure. How gracious Christ is. He meets him there in the darkness 
and personally works with Nicodemus. It's a sermon for another time. But over the discourse of that time, Jesus explains in one of the clearest aspects anywhere found in the Gospel how salvation can be brought to every single person. And Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus because the personal Christ worked in his life. I want to touch on one last verse before we bring this home. Revelation chapter 3. Go to the last book of the Bible, if you would. Revelation chapter 3. We're going to verse 20. You see, the personal God wasn't just the personal God of the Old Testament. isn't just the personal God of the New Testament. He's a personal God today who wants to work with you personally and have an intervention in your walk with life and turn you towards Him. Revelation 3 and verse 20, when you're there, if you'd say amen. The personal God says this, Behold, I stand at the door and what? What door is this? It's your personal heart. The personal king of the door comes and stands at your heart's door and he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will what, church? Come in to him and what? Dine with him and he with? Personal God. Whether you're up in the aircraft at 36,000 feet or you're here in the sanctuary this morning, or you're driving somewhere after the church service and you realize all of a sudden through the power of the Holy Spirit that you need Jesus. The personal God stands there and He says He will not force Himself. If you will let Me come in, I will transform you and I will recreate you into a new person that reflects Me fully. Are you discouraged this morning? The personal God wants to lift you up. Are you struggling this morning? The personal God wants to give you victory. Do you feel guilty this morning? The personal God wants to forgive you and to give you peace. He's not your neighbor's God. He's your God. He's not the God that just dwells in heaven. He's the God that through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit wants to have an intervention personally inside your heart today. He is the personal God. And so my... Dear church family, as I've meditated on this this last week, I've realized that it's too easy for me to live with an intellectual God, not a personal God. And so, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. And I have a question I want you to contemplate in your mind. Is Jesus your personal God? Or has He become more of an intellectual pursuit or a cultural comfort? Are you here on Sabbath morning because that's just what you do? Or are you here because you love Jesus? And maybe you used to love Him, but He's become now more of a convenience than a reality. Maybe there's been a drifting that's happened in your life. And this morning you're realizing that the God who wants to personally intervene in your life as He's done through history has become distant to you. Today, Jesus longs to change that.
And so in the quietness of this sanctuary, where do you stand with Jesus? Father in heaven, you long to be personal to us. First and foremost, because you love us and you want to be close. But also because you know that we are hopeless and helpless without you. But with you, all things are possible to the Christian. Father, I want to publicly thank you for intervening in my life at those 36,000 feet over the Atlantic Ocean. Today, there is someone here, I don't know who it is, but you do, who needs a personal intervention right now. Maybe they've drifted. Maybe they've never surrendered. Today, they feel broken, alone, and in need of Jesus. Oh, our Father, have mercy upon us. Forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And convert us as a church and individually as people. Become our personal Savior. I know you want to do this. I know you long to do this. Teach us how to get out of the way so that you can. I know there have been some prayers that have gone up here in this sanctuary. Thank you for answering them. Oh, and thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Phil Mills, pastor of Lansing Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit his church this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the church at 5400 West St. Joe Highway in Lansing, Michigan, and their church service begins at 1050 a.m. Access their website at lansingadventist.org. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.